Welcome to Go Behind the Ballot, a podcast where two Texas moms go on an educational quest to demystify Texas politics. Join me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, as we deep dive into the most burning issues, hear stories from candidates, and offer hope in these challenging political times. Let's saddle up and go behind the ballot. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Go Behind the Ballot. I am Claire Campos O'Neill. And I am Nicole Abshire. And we are so thankful that you have joined us today. If you are here with us, you're here with us. The 88th Texas Legislative Session has begun, and we are going to be talking about some of the bills that have been filed that really excite us and that really drive us crazy in a bad way. So we thought it would be fun to... Yeah, touch on that. On and I think this will also give us a window into what to expect. Um, as you might recall from our Monday episode, the earlier episode we released this week, we talked about how the Texas legislature works. We shared that about 7,000 bills will be filed, about 20% of those will become law. So some of these we really hope become law, and some of these we're like, oh, God, no. So we'll see where this takes us, this journey we're going to go on, this educational journey of uh, sharing what we like so far. All right, Nicole, you, so you shared a little bit beforehand that <laughs> you would well, be leaning on me for the good ones. Can I, you tell me why that is? <laughs> yes. Let, let me confess to anybody who is listening. So, um, you know, Claire and I decided that this is what we would talk about today. We would go on a search for you know, at least three bills that we were excited to see. And I have to just confess that in my search, I got really caught up in the negatives, the ones that scare me and to a point where I, I got a little paralyzed. So um, I do not want to be a Debbie Downer. I certainly want to orient towards hope, but I will admit that there are some bills that really frighten me. And if you are a long time listener and you've heard some of my kind of personal story sharing, I don't think you'll be surprised. But um, so yeah, I am leaning on you for sure here to talk about the things that you're looking forward to. And also, Claire, what I'm looking forward to is sort of the process by which you found them. Mm. Because I will say that something I came up against was sort of like, how do I even find things that I feel good about. I mean, I can tell you about one website that I came across, which is somehow attached to the Dell Foundation, and they monitor some bills. And one of them, one of the categories that they monitor was maternal health. And I thought, oh, well, that's something I'm excited about. And so they definitely had some bills that were listed. Um, but I found finding resources for this a little difficult. So mm. I'm very curious to have this conversation. Yeah. Well, now that you've shared that, it, it makes me think of what bill I want to start out with. So, um, and I guess we can even share with our listeners some exciting news that we are going to be moderating a panel at South by Southwest this upcoming March. So keep an eye out for that. We'll be sharing it on our social media and it's going to be about food insecurity. So I say all that to say I was doing some research on food insecurity here in Texas and it led me to an article that 
spoke about a bill that excited me. And this was from Representative Sean Theory from from the Houston area, House Bill um, 1118. And it's regarding um, food insecurity, food desert specifically. She wants to create a bill that would offer tax credits to grocery stores that open in Texas food deserts. And I thought this was so smart. I live in Southeast Austin and it's a food desert. Uh, it's unbelievable that I don't even know how big this area is, but there's not a single grocery store. There's like some Dollar Generals, some, you know, gas stations, but we're talking about a place where you can get really good fresh food. It's not anywhere nearby. And the thing that this article talked about and I have experienced personally is when you try to understand the why of it, a lot of these grocers will say, well, there's not enough rooftops. And basically what I'm finding is that when they're when they're not opening in an affluent area, they need another reason to be there. They need some some other economic mechanism to make it worth their while. So representative theory was like, maybe it's this tax incentive, uh, this tax credit. So I really appreciate that she was thinking about this, put forward a bill that could maybe help solve the problem. And that got me really excited. That is really great. That's really great to hear. I taught school in a food desert. I'm fortunate that I don't live in one, but um, where I taught school in Dallas, there were no grocery stores nearby. And as a result, I definitely noticed, well, all of my class was on free lunch, but when they would bring snacks or any food into class, it was always, always processed food. And I know that that's relatively common, right? That for parties and things like that, people do tend to bring processed foods, but I couldn't help but notice that they're, they really didn't have other options anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that creates additional problems, right? Like you can see more obesity in children when they're not having access to healthier options. And it's just, we people need access to fresher foods, and this is a great solution that she put forward. Um, some uh, in this article that I was referencing, um, theory said, "quote Texas has the largest grocery gap in the nation, which means that our state has the lowest number of supermarkets per capita of any state." End quote. So this this would if this could impact many Texans in a positive way. Um, because like you had, you experienced a food desert. I experienced where I am. She has this too with her constituents. So let's go HB 1118. I hope you pass. We're rooting you on. (laughs) Okay, Nicole, what do you have on the flip side for bills? We really don't want to have passed. Um, (laughs) I kind of feel like I should, well, no, maybe we don't want to leave people with those thoughts. I was actually like, maybe I should go last. Um, That's all right. Well, bing bong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. So there is House Bill 42, House Bill 672, and House Bill 436. They all essentially say the same thing. Um, So they would define gender-affirming care as child abuse, and they would criminalize parents of trans children, which would, of course, open the door to their arrest and allow children to be separated from their families and thrown into foster care, which is um, really awful. But it, and, and I think what I want to point out is that you've heard us talk about the directive given by Governor Abbott and Ken Paxton 
that allowed or opened the door for the Department of Children and Family Services to investigate families of trans children. But that has all, as it's moved through the courts in any way, hasn't succeeded. And essentially what that came down to is because there wasn't any sort of statute that made gender-affirming care abuse. Um, And so what these bills are designed to do is give that um, ability for the Department of Family and Children's or Children and Family Services so that they can officially classify gender affirming care as abuse and therefore take the next steps. So that's, uh, it's really sad and it's frustrating and it was very distracting for me. Um, I had a hard time, I think, kind of moving past it. It also didn't help that when I, I found another resource called Legiscan, which is a, a big kind of aggregator of bills in the Texas legislature, and it, they cover, looks like, all states. But they, if when I scrolled down on the page for Texas and the 88th legislature, when I look at the most viewed Texas bills and the most monitored Texas bills, which I'm sure they're viewed and monitored for all sorts of reasons, but it really upsets me and makes me nervous that those particular bills are the most monitored and the most viewed. Um, mm. So, yeah. But I just want to remind our listeners, if you're hearing this and you're like, I still don't understand why this is such a harmful thing, go back and listen to our episode, our two episodes with Ash Hall and our minis that accompany those. And we really dig into this, into the what is gender affirming care? What does it mean to be transgender? And explain uh, sort of the hysteria around all of that in a way that helped me understand it a lot more clearly. So um, yeah, I would just encourage you to go seek that out if you're still a little unclear on why this is a bad thing. Anything else on those, Nicole? Well, you know, this is an opportunity, so I am going to take it, which is to say that just a reminder to folks that there was a mass exodus from the Department of Child and Family Services when they were told that they had to act on this directive So an already understaffed agency became even more understaffed. And these are the folks, the social workers who work in the the foster care system. And so the other, like just another implication of something like these bills passing is that the foster care system is already completely overtaxed. And so we're talking about even making it more burdened. And that is, is really frightening. Absolutely. Yeah. doesn't make a lot of sense to, to, to go that direction. And it's a bummer too, like three different bills that essentially say the same thing mm-hmm. that worries me, right? Yeah. Wasn't covered with just one. Yeah. We'll keep tabs on those for sure. Um, okay. So a bill that I, I guess I'm excited by, it's kind of a sobering bill. Um, but I was, I was I shared this with Nicole after New Year's I was just watching the local news and they did this 
personal story about a woman who was out for New Year's Eve, you know, watching the fireworks with her family, just having a fun night, and a bullet landed like within feet of her. Thank God it didn't hit her, but this happens all the time, people getting hit by stray bullets from celebratory gunfire. And her big concern was like, oh my goodness, I have a three-year-old. Like, what if my three-year-old had been struck? So when I was listening to this uh, news report, my ears perked up because of our previous conversation that we had with Nicole Golden from Texas Gun Sense about, I mean, this seems like common sense gun legislation, like some of the common sense gun legislation that we're talking about. Um, But there's this state representative, Armando Martinez. He has introduced House Bill 1138, which addresses celebratory gunfire. So right now, the law says that... uh, Do I have it in front of me? Okay. I think basically the law says that you're not allowed to shoot your gun off if and if you like strike someone... It's only enforceable if the place you're living in has a population of 100,000 people or more, but he wants to pass this bill so that it, it's across the board. Like, you just can't be shooting your gun willy-nilly, period, because of of what can happen from these stray bullets. And he himself was shot by a stray bullet on New Year's Eve. If you – we'll link the article, but if you watch the video clip – you see pictures of him and like his head shaved and it seems like it was a really severe injury. Luckily he's since recovered, but my goodness, if we could make things a little bit safer for folks, let's do it. So I want to see House Bill 1138 pass and Texas Gun Sense likes it too. We'll take a Nicole Golden (laughs) Texas Gun Sense um, endorsement. (laughs) Yes. Because a reminder, too, that they are for common sense gun reform. They do not want to take people's guns away. They are looking for common ground. They want the common sense approach. So Exactly. And this is something that Representative Martinez brings up. He's like, I just want people to be responsible with their guns. And perhaps gun owners don't know that when you shoot it up, it comes down and it can harm someone, even if it's, you know, sort of an indirect fire. So let's be safe with our guns, people. And that's that. That's that. All right. What else do you have for us, Nicole? Okay, well, I'll say a positive one. Okay, okay, there's Senate Bill 134 and Senate Bill 73 that are asking for medical coverage. This language, I'm not sure that I really understand, but for certain women following a pregnancy – So it looks like kind of the consensus is around making Medicare, excuse me, Medicaid. Oh boy. Sorry, folks. I get these confused. I think Medicaid, right? Because Medicare is when you're over 60. I think, yeah. So Medicaid, so if you qualify for Medicaid. Yeah, like Medicare when you have gray hair. Okay. That's a little. (laughs) I hope that's right. A little device to remember. Okay. So, okay. Oh boy, I didn't come as well prepared, guys. Sorry about this. Um, But that would make medical coverage for certain women following a pregnancy for up to a year. Because obviously Texas um, is a very conservative state. Uh, But what I think we could all agree on is in 
improving maternal health and maternal healthcare outcomes. And an obvious way to do that is to increase coverage for women following childbirth. Mm-hmm. That would be great. I would love to see that as well. Um, I guess this is sort of related. I will mention another bill I'm excited about, which Representative Donna Howard filed, and this is HB 70, and this is sometimes referred to as the pink tax. And she wants to see this bill passed because it proposes a sales and use tax exemption for certain feminine hygiene products. So right now, if you buy your pads or your tampons, you pay a tax on that. Now, there's lots of products that we buy that are not taxed, that are considered essential items. So why are we paying taxes on our period products? A lot of states don't have this tax in place, but Texas does. Representative Donna Howard has filed this bill many past sessions. It's considered bipartisan, and yet it doesn't go up for a vote. So hopefully this is the year that it happens and it is passed. As a matter of fact, even um, our comptroller, Glenn Hagar, has said this is, um, I think he's called it an anachronistic tax. Wait, anachronistic. Is that the word, Nicole? I think maybe just the, like, I was just, you heard it anachronistic like so maybe just anachronistic yeah the accent just needs to move a little yeah (laughs) yes we shouldn't have this he's it's old yes yes (laughs) he he collects the taxes and he's like i mean yes we get tax we get tax revenue from this but should we be getting it so again there's there's lots of consensus that it's a little ridiculous we're paying for it and it wouldn't solve the problem of people who can't afford period products but at least it would be a step in the right direction um and this impacts a lot of a lot of well okay like almost half of us are paying for these products and while some of us might have the means to pay it should does that mean we should be paying it probably not i would say no so i hope we get some momentum on sb 78 HB 70. I love that it has had bipartisan support. It has. I think it just needs more push, more of a push. So come on, leadership. Come on, leadership. This really matters. Well, okay. I'm with (laughs) you. All right. Do you have another one that you like or don't like? Mm. I have another, another, some more that I don't like. <laughs> Tell us. Well, um, okay, it's House Bill 643 and House Bill 708. Um, so they classify venues with drag shows as sexually oriented businesses. So like a strip club is sort of how they would categorize those. Um, and I just, it feels as if it is something that, isn't important. And I would just love to see other issues prioritized when we think about what the real problems are here in the state. You know, we talked about it in our last episode, our infrastructure, you know, needing addressing. Um, There's just so many things that I think are more important that I just feel like drag shows, I don't understand why that would become a priority. So I hope that those just really don't get anywhere. Yeah, I'll I'll piggyback on um, HB 643, I think it was, 
Um, there was an article I found in Slate Magazine talking about this. And it said, quote, the bill is so broad that it could theoretically apply to a trans person singing the national anthem at a Dallas Mavericks game, end quote. So again, it's like, how are you going to enforce this even if you wanted to? It's Well, really and can messy. we point out that so often with this stuff, it isn't, it isn't necessarily enforceable, but it's the fear that it creates. It's this chilling effect where nobody knows. And so then- They're on caution. Exactly. Yeah. So there's just so much fear generated that people sort of self-police themselves out of just living a regular life. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up, Nicole, because it makes me think about some of the uh, effects that we're seeing from SB8, the uh, bill that ha- that made it so that abortion, you can't have an abortion after six weeks. Even though there's an exemption for the life of the mother, a lot of hospitals are really unsure when they can intervene and it's leading to terrible health outcomes for women. Some are using losing their uterus and having to have a hysterectomy because they're not receiving care earlier because hospitals are like, is now, is now like the, is, is now her life so threatened that we can intervene? So you're right. It, it can, it can have these unintended consequences, um, that have really, Strange impacts, negative, strange negative impacts. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I will mention some education bills that I hope we see passed. Um, The first one is House Bill 31 filed by Representative Gina Hinojosa, and this would require schools to be funded based on enrollment during the academic school year. Um, Right now, it is not based on enrollment. It is based on attendance. So it kind of encourages kids to go to school when they're not feeling well. It also makes it really difficult for districts to understand what their budget's going to be because it depends on when kids actually show up. So this can create a lot of unintended consequences with um, with. Where, where, you're, where you spend your dollars. So if it was based on enrollment, it would make things a lot cleaner for districts. And again, other states do this already. So we should be doing this. That sounds great. Yes. And I'll keep, I'll give y'all one slash two more sort of in this uh, public education umbrella. Um, there is Senate Bill 888, which Senator Nathan Johnson put forward, which is very similar to uh, House Bill 882, the representative Donna Howard has put forward, which raises a basic allotment to $7,075. So more money for districts. Right now, as you might recall from our public education series, the basic allotment is $6,160 in Texas. And I'm just going to add, according to the research by Education Week, Texas is behind the national average for per student funding by over $4,000. So we're talking about throwing in an extra $1,000, call it. So this is still like significantly below where we should be. But my God, can we at least like raise the bar a little bit past them? Yes, right. And it's it's interesting to hear about our budget surplus, but it feels like it's rare that we hear that being attached to the student allotment, right? I've, ne- I've never heard anybody talk about using the surplus for that. I've heard about them when it comes to education, using it maybe for teacher raises for some of that, 
but I never hear that for the student allotments. So I think that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know if they would possible? pull from the surplus to cover this or have to find revenue somewhere, but they should just do it. I mean, we have money in Texas. There's a way. There's a will, there's a way to make it happen. Right. It's clear that once you make something a priority, it can happen. Mm-hmm. It just needs to be made a priority. Yeah. 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 Okay. Do you have any other ones, Nicole? I don't, Claire. I'm All right. Stop there. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I, you know, uh, support the ones that you are not a fan of. I, as well, hope that they die, die, die. See you later. And the, the good ones that we mentioned, um, we're going to be keeping tabs on and tracking. And if there's a way for us to have our voice be heard, we will let you all know that. Um, remember, there's some great groups out there that you can follow, and they're monitoring these bills, and they'll let you know what you need to know. Um, Nicole, mention again where people can track bills and keep tabs it's on It's called Legiscan. And I will put the link in the episode description yeah, I, it's, it's a really bare bones website. It has kind of an old fashioned look about it, but I don't know, somehow that makes it feel even more, um, legit, right? Because they're not worried about it looking pretty. They're just giving you the information and it's clearly just a clearing house for, um, what has been filed. And it's the, it's the most basic information, ledger scan, and I will put it in the episode description. Great. Yes. Yes. Let's stay on. Let's just do a little bit more of this session to be active participants. Because I think when we show up, they're like, oh my goodness, people are watching what we're doing. We better do some good things. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Let us know what bills you're following. And together we're going to stay on top of this stuff. All right. Talk to you next time. Thank you, everybody, for joining me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, on Go Behind the Ballot. Hopefully, we've demystified some little portion of Texas politics, and we hope that you'll do more with us. Check out our website at www.gobehindtheballot.com, where you'll find links to all of our social media, and you will find our community. Let's join together and do more. We hope you'll let us know what is working, and we hope you'll join us next week. Thanks, everybody, and have a good one.